Preterism is a broad umbrella term these days. Underneath that umbrella lies doctrines of men. These doctrines are false and things we need to be aware of. Next up on this episode of the Kingdom Project Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode. I am your host, Marcus Hall. Uh, before I get into the content, let me give you a little update and just say I'm sorry. I've not been as frequent um, with episodes. Um, there's a handful of reasons for that, but one of the main reasons in particular would be that I I'm just r- really need some ideas on what to what to really talk about and all that stuff and um, you know mainly um, I get tired of sometimes of the whole um, <laughs> well I, I you know eschatology stuff I guess um, that's been the driving point for a lot of this podcast and that's the reason for this episode but um um but in which i would like to make uh, a, cl- a very clear statement w- uh, with and um to, to so that that way people will understand a little bit better okay so um <clears throat> um we are going through the uh, all the virus stuff and the shut-ins and stuff and you know, I've I have been stressed. Uh, it's it's stressful working, being an essential worker, being out there um, in the m- midst of a pandemic, and wearing gloves and a mask and trying to protect myself. And I work with the public. I go into people's homes and things like that. So it's stressful, and there's a bit of a a mental strain there. So um, I, I'm just not totally with it. I guess all the time as far as being motivated and recording some podcasts. Um, not not to say that I've not been listening or reading or studying. I have. Uh, n- maybe not as much. Um, I'm really into this <laughs> this game called Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch. Uh, I've been playing that a lot. So if you, uh, if you play that and you have some uh, peach trees, um, I need peach trees for my island. Uh, and maybe we could trade or something like that. Um, but I do need some peach trees. So, uh, if you play, send me your code so, <laughs> so I can get some peaches. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, it's sort of a break, um, a break from a lot of things in our, the normalcy of our life with this virus going on and, uh, government control and power and people overreaching with their authority and stuff like that and it's it's just it's been crazy um it's just a weird time 2020 is just odd it's very weird um with that being said i have commented some uh on my my personal facebook i have done a couple of teachings on sundays uh, which has not been available on the podcast or on the page uh on facebook uh you know it is what it is uh, but I have mentioned and talked about, is this the last days because of this and all that? And I think you should know me by now that I don't believe that is the case at all. Um, so it, just lack of material and all that. I'm sorry. Um, um, but, you know, I, you, you sort of just come and go out of these phases from time to time. I've done this before in the past, but probably not this long. It's been quite, quite, quite some time. Um so anyway, that's really what's going on. I mean, nothing major or anything like that um, as far as, uh, you know, bad deals or anything. Um, miss Church, miss, miss Preaching and Teaching, uh, like to get back in Colossians. I thought about just going and, you know, doing that for the podcast, but then that would leave the congregation um, in, in the dark on the rest of that, and then I would just have to repeat it when we get back into having uh, services again. So that's why uh, I haven't been doing doing that or anything. So anyway, um, let, let's get into this whole uh, issue, okay? Um, 
And actually, before I, uh, again, once again, let me push that off for a second. If you have any questions, if you have any ideas, if you have anything at all, you know, message me. I I do get comments on YouTube. I get comments on uh, through Instagram and messages and, and stuff like that with questions. Um, and I usually will have a, a converse through, you know, in a comment, you know, social media you know, way. And, uh, that's good. Uh, I like doing that. That's fun. Um, but if there's anything, you know, you can email, you can message me if you know me personally, or have a way to contact me in that way. That's welcomed as well. Um, questions on context of a verse or, you know, a, a certain topic or, uh, a doctrine, um, things like that would help me keep momentum going, uh, to put out, uh, new, new episodes. Um, that's really sort of how I, uh, strive, uh, when it comes to this format, I like to, uh, you know, I like to try to, to explain things and get them out, get them out there. All right. That being said, putting out so much material on eschatology in general on this podcast was simply due to the fact, and this is going to sound like a broken record to those who have listened uh, to all the episodes, um, is due to the fact that when I discovered there were other views, it threw me for a loop, and I had to start studying and researching, and then learn hermeneutics and principles of interpretation, and... <clears throat> It's it changed how I read the Bible and how I understood context and audience relevance. And then it changed my eschatology. Um, along with that, I studied different views of hell. And then I just started to get into understanding different false teachings or out of context preaching uh, the difference of exegesis and eisegesis and uh, all that type of stuff. I've gone over this many times on this on this show. And so the whole reason I've done so many, like I've got hours, you know, 40 or 50 hours of eschatology on this podcast. And it's not because it's such a high doctrinal position that I live by, but it's part of my theology because eschatology is part of theology. Theology matters, therefore eschatology matters. Therefore, our interpretation matters. And people simply don't know that there are other views. Uh, futurists don't even know that there's different, you know, um, different futurist views as well. There's a, a lot of people who are um, don't even know that there's, you know, post-millennialists, you know, would disagree with most of the pre-millennial views. So that's the main reason is just to let people know there's other views. We have every right to know those and for us to study those out ourselves. Now, that being said, it is hard at times, and I addressed this not too long ago, how do you share preterism? I would say the best way is to teach proper interpretation. That way it starts to stick out and you cannot miss it. To just say preterism or pre I'm a preterist sometimes to people, if it's in a short conversation, if I don't have time to actually converse uh, and engage them fully to explain all these things and then leave them to Google that, they are going to find a whole host of different uh, versions of this eschatological view. So much like charismatics, much like cessationists, you end up with a, a word that's a has a is a very broad term now. So it's this umbrella term, right? Um so People, for the most part, when you Google this, you're going to find out <laughs> that Google is, or the results are going to say the dangers or the 
the uh, the dangerous doctrine of preterism, the heresy of preterism, all those types of things. So when somebody's not fully knowledgeable on on the different versions, I guess, of it, or the various ways in which it's brought forth, they are automatically going to think, oh, you're crazy or a heretic or whatever. That's that's why there's people locally that warn others about preterism because they know there's a person like me that <laughs> is putting out a bunch of information on it um, without fully realizing that it's not the version in which they just Googled and read about in a five, 10 minute span. That's not the way you even try to look up something. If you've, you're trying to figure out what it is, you've got to spend a lot more time on it. All right. So, um, it, it's a very, you know, it's a very broad term now, just like the others. Okay. So, Theology, we should know it's God, it's Logos, it's word or doctrine. Okay, theology can be defined in a narrow sense as doctrine of God. It's studying God. If you're going to know God, you have to know theology, right? Even if you think you dislike theology or theologians, you become a theologian. Everyone is a theologian once they start to study God to get to know God. All right, so if someone's like, why do I need to know theology? It's become like the whole phrase relationship, not religion. All right. So people are like, no, no, I just need to know Jesus, not theology. <clears throat> but if they say all I, all I need is G, uh, need to know is Jesus, then I would just say, well, then who is Jesus? Because as soon as they begin to answer the question of who Jesus is, then they are engaging and are involved in theology. You can't avoid it. So anybody who puts down intellectualism, uh, academia, and, and theology as a you know, and just lump all that in, you can't avoid it. So I see people online all the time talking about that stuff in a negative way, and it's like, but you're committing theology too. And even in your explanation and in your relationship and your intimacy with God as a father through his son, Jesus, whom now you are filled by the Holy Spirit. That's all theological discussion. So <laughs> it, 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 it's it's funny. Uh, and they don't it, they just get mad. You know, I, so whatever. I'm just letting you know. OK, so we, we should be reading and studying the word to develop our doctrinal foundations. Now, I want you to take note of what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He said, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So you have Paul telling Timothy to watch himself, watch his life and his teaching. That word teaching means doctrine. All right. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your doctrine. In doing this, Timothy will not only save himself, but those who hear him when he teaches. Okay, <clears throat> and by saving also is the word sozo, which is, in this sense, deliverance. So what, what will he save himself and others from by his doctrine? <laughs> right? If you move up to the beginning of that chapter, 1 Timothy 4, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So, save is to deliver in this context. And to deliver, 
Timothy and his hearers from the effects of the teaching of the false teachers. So your doctrine, your theology is important because you keep a, a close watch then on yourself and your doctrine. And in doing so, you can save yourself and people you discuss and are engaged with, people you do Bible study with, people you teach, people you are mentoring, or if you're a preacher or a teacher, whatever. All right? You'll be delivering them from false teachings um, and misinterpretations. So as you learn your Bible, you start to put together your theology. And then you start to realize there's all these different areas of theology, okay? And uh, systematic theology, and I, someone gifted me Wayne Grudem's systematic theology book. It's a beast of a book, but it's good to have lying around. But um, systematic theology, there's all these different, this is what it is. It's different doctrines, okay? You have th- theology proper, okay? Theology proper deals with the existence and attribu- attributes of God. And then there's uh, uh, the doctrine of man, all right? And and then you have Christology, the doctrine of Christ, soteriology is salvation, uh, uh, ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church, eschatology, all right? Uh, the end times. And then there's Bibli- uh, bibliology. It's the doctrine of the Bible. So do all of these areas carry the same level of importance, Right? The most important doctrines, and I've gone over this in another episode too, the essentials, the essential doctrines. We have theology proper, Christology, and soteriology. Okay, so in within the danger of an eschatological view, and not just preterism, but eschatology in general, because futurists are as guilty as it, always looking and searching and trying to take the headlines and, and and put that and pose it into the Bible to get their interpretation, to find out where we're at in the book of Revelation and all that type of stuff, right? But the danger is that people then elevate it to the prime importance of their message, of their life, and how they're carrying on in every everyday life and their worldview, okay? So I will be discussing the issues that happen under the umbrella term of preterism today. Now, we know preterism is an eschatology, and it's one of many, all right? It's not a denomination, although you would think maybe it has become one, okay? And what do I mean by that? It's the same with with Jim Baker. He's a futurist, okay? Jonathan Kahn. Um it's always in times, in times, in times, all the time. All right. Now, like I said, I have multiple hours of this, but it was to, in doing so was to just prove the point. There's a different view. Here's what that view consists of. And it's going to take some time to get through it. There's plenty of other episodes and my, my sermons that I have done that, that aren't based on, around eschatology um although when you come to an, a statement that uh that you have to address audience relevance or something that's going on that ties in with that you point that out all right but you could look at like jim baker is that his denomination is futurism i mean straight up almost all the time right that's what it seems to come come to where it's become denominational where that the only doctrine that seems to matter is eschatology. It's the same with, with some preterist. Okay. So <clears throat> the danger then, whether it's futurism, pre- preterism or anything else is when you put it above other doctrines, the essential ones. Okay. That's wrong. Okay. So we know then as preterism is a type of, it's a system of eschatology, and it views the end-time events as taking a place taking place in the first century. All right. Now, the judgment, resurrection, second coming, all took place in 70 A.D. To others, it's everything but the second coming. All right. But we have all of this 
you know, the beast, the mark of the beast, the uh, apocalypse, all these things that took place because um, it was all signaled by the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, which to me, obviously, you know, th- this makes sense uh, that it's a decree or an etiquette of judgment to old covenant Israel for rejecting the Messiah in that age. All right. And that age was coming to a close and the age to come is the age we live in. Now the new covenant age has been fully consummated by the son of God, Jesus through his crucifixion and resurrection. And then um, the, the destroying the full destruction, Uh, annihilation (laughs) if you will of the old covenant the mosaic covenant all right so we 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 look at this we take time statements at face value we believe that g like the things that jesus said had to to do with that generation when he said this generation all right all all things like that and i also believe that it's an eschatology of hope and of victory and um that it declares that Jesus is king. He's the one in control. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And that the Bible also declares over and over and over that the world will remain forever. And the the way I came to this was a correct interpretation. All right. And I believe correct interpretation or hermeneutic leads a person to preterism when they look at time statements and audience relevance. Okay. Those principles of it come into play. All right. Audience relevance seeks to discover what the actual original audience, the original hearers, or their original readers understood a passage to mean. So the, the concern of the interpreter is to understand the, the actual grammar of a passage in light of the historical cir- circumstances and context of the original audience. We need to know what those actual words meant to the people it was originally said or written to. Okay. Now, um. You know, I, I think a great example is the book of Revelation. You you can't find America in the book of Revelation. It's not written to Americans. It's not written to the world. It's written to seven churches, right? The seven churches that are in Asia. That's who it's written to. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you. This is how he starts this in, in chapter 1, verse 4, right? the book was written to these different groups of believers who lived in that region, Asia Asia Minor in the first century. Okay, so, and and again, time statements and all that stuff. Okay, so, we, we, we we deal with that. And that's where we come, the proper hermeneutic, all right? So, Preterism as an eschatology is right on, I believe. It's true to the principles of hermeneutics and interpreting the Bible in the correct way. Use scripture to interpret scripture to find out what it means instead of man's thoughts or what it means to you, which would be more of application, not interpretation. But it's getting to the point that, like I said earlier, it is to the point where I can't just tell somebody, hey, I hold this preterist view of end times. Because if they go to Google it, they're not going to understand because they're just going to get a bunch of false information because they're going to get several different views. Okay, so even though I hold a fulfilled eschatology, there are some that um, take it too far. And there's some people that I don't want to be associated with (laughs) in that. And same with being like, I believe in the gifts. I, I am a continuationist, but you know. If you've listened to me, that I won't always associate myself with just the term charismatic um, because a lot of times people hear charismatic and they want to run out the door. Okay, so we have this umbrella then under which man's false doctrines are are at. Okay, Um, as as they I don't you know, 
some some just continue and continue and continue in the preterist um, uh, movement and they have these doctrinal errors that may have already been with them or that they develop okay so and because of that because they are preterists then they discredit the whole the whole eschatological view by their doctrinal errors so we need to be careful about embracing someone just because they would say that they're a preterist all right so we can't line up and associate with people based strictly on their eschatology that's my whole point because there are other doctrines that are much more important like christology and soteriology okay so even though preterism is the a theological platform it's one in which men's men's doctrines come from and can grow okay um so we're going to look at a, a few of those and then just address them shortly and most of them you'll probably know all right so and i do i do receive messages and comments and emails about this uh this first one and the first one is universalism um and universalism is the teaching that god through christ through the atonement will has he has he he either has brought or will ultimately bring reconciliation between himself and everyone everyone all people throughout history okay and this reconciliation here's the thing though it's a big difference in being reconciled and being saved the world's reconciled but they're not saved but they use this they say this reconciliation will occur regardless of whether they have trusted in or rejected jesus as savior in their life at any time the issue i already said the god was in christ reconciling the world to himself that means favor being restored favor was restored in the sense that man no longer has to have a sacrifice travel to the temple go to the high priest and do all these things that were originally laid out in the old covenant all right faith now it's faith and grace faith alone grace alone that's it the world has been reconciled but universalism uses reconciliation in the same sense almost as salvation that the world is saved it's, it's either has been saved or it will be saved um you don't have to accept jesus and and that salvation you are saved everyone's saved this this got really popular when rob bell put a book out called love wins all right he was a former pastor of uh, mars hill um which you know all fell apart and all that and bad stories anyway the point of his book is every sinner will turn to god and realize he has already been reconciled to god whether it's in their in in this life on earth or after they're dead so in the end love wins so we have this basic presupposition then of universalism that says that god's nature is love he loves everybody right but love is just one of many attributes within that love lies just uh, justice as well okay so um yes he's love and that love was that he would give his only begotten son right but the thing with universalists is that they go through scripture they pull out all the verses that mention all and world to attempt to prove their point that all are saved or will be saved right there's one uh, statement by a universalist that says belief is not a requirement to be returned back to god in in spirit when you die belief is that thing that gives us joy right now knowing that it it has been accomplished 
that the works of the devil have been undone and Jesus is the savior of the world. Now, here he says belief is not a requirement. Now, the Bible doesn't say that those who believe are just going to have joy 24/7, all right? The the outcome of your salvation, the 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 free gift that comes with that is eternal life. To not believe is to remain spiritually dead and to have eternal death, right? John 3, 36 is he who is believing in the Son, and this is Young's literal, he who is believing in the Son hath life, age during, all right, eternal life. And he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remain upon him. All right, so we know the word of God from pretty much the start to finish proclaims the necessity of faith. Apart from faith in Christ, you perish and go eternal. You remain dead eternally. Eternal life is only for believers. It's exclusive only to those who believe, right? Romans 8.1, there is then now no condemnation to those in Christ who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That condemnation is part of that spiritual death because all are con- condemned in Adam. But when you repent, you are placed in Christ. So those who are in Christ, those who believe in Christ have no spiritual death. There is no condemnation. If Paul was a universalist, he could have just said, there is therefore no uh, condemnation to anyone. But he doesn't. He makes it a specific claim here that it's only those in Christ. Because there's people who are not in Christ. Those who are in Christ, those who believe in Christ, are not condemned. It's only those who believe in him that do not perish. And all who do not believe in him perish right john three eighteen. whoever believes in him is not condemned but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of god so the unbeliever is condemned and still is, is still under eternal death right john 8 24 I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So there's only one thing that prevents you and I from dying in our sin and being dead forever, being damned, if you will, because that's how the Bible puts it. And that is the belief that Jesus is God. Believe of the truth. There's nothing more, nothing more to add, nothing to take away. That's what separates the saved from the unsaved. All right. So universalism is a false gospel. It's an attack on the gospel because over and over the Bible calls upon man to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. But universalism says you don't have to do that because you will be saved in the end. All right. So again, now it's just somebody, just because somebody may hold to a correct doctrine of eschatology doesn't make, make them correct in the rest of their theology. All right. Um, we should know that the, uh, the, the most important doctrine, all right. Uh, much more important is the doctrine of soteriology. And that's how a person is saved. And the Bible teaches that we are saved by faith and by faith alone. All right. But uh, Galatians 3.22, but the scripture imprisoned everything under uh, sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So this, the promise here that's mentioned is the covenant promise to Abraham which is was and is justification by faith uh, of Jesus. And uh, 
Sorry, I got sidetracked. My phone went off. <laughs> Lightning alert. It's storming. So the promise is what was given to Abraham, justification by faith of Jesus that might be given to all those that believe. Okay, John 10, 26 through 28. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So eternal life is only given to those who believe. All right. So that means there are people who are not his sheep and those who are not his sheep will perish. And that basically then sums up universalism and how to throw that out because it's just it it's not there. The other the other one is uh, Israel only. Okay, I've mentioned this before, but uh, Israel only is a false teaching. Um, it says that the term Gentiles refers only only to the ten northern tribes of Israel. Okay, now some Israel only could also be placed under the term of hyper preterism. Okay, and hyper then is the same. Okay, so let me say that again. That the term Gentiles refers only to the ten northern tribes of Israel. All right, so what that means is that the <clears throat> excuse me is that the Bible is written was written solely and entirely to the nation of Israel, and that's it. All right, which means there's nothing in the Bible for us at all because it was all about Israel and it was all for them. Okay, now they believe everything ended in 70 AD, but when I say everything ended, I mean everything, all right? Salvation ended in 70 AD, but they also believe that sin ended in 70 AD. They believe the church ended. They believe that the need for preachers and teachers ended as well. Now, they may not... There are so many variations of this. There are people who believe that there's no need for church. There's no need for pastors. There's no need um, for even for fellowship. Um, but they do believe in studying and, and in the word and they believe in salvation. But that kind of contradicts itself. If you say there was no need for those other things because that came to an end in 70 AD, then how can you have salvation if there's nobody to show you that it requires faith alone in Jesus, the Son of God, to be placed in Christ, to be forgiven of your sin. You have to know what other doctrines are that are needed. All right. You can't just, we can't just throw, you know, some of these out and then keep, you know, we start nitpicking. Right. <clears throat> so I'm just, even though there's various people or various variations of this, I just have to throw it in to this that hyper preterism or israel only okay um so no more salvation no more sin no more spiritual death no more church all that stuff okay um my my whole thing on that is like what's the point why do you even bother then why do you debate why do you still study the bible why do you have somebody teach you the bible why do you get together what is I, I don't understand what the point is, because once you learn that none of it is applied to you, including salvation, then wouldn't you just be like, OK, whatever, just go and do what I want to do. Right. <laughs> All right. But it, it, like if if you believe that they are teaching that type of thing, then then. If you think the Bible is for Israel only, then then your life then is without God. All right, uh, you you have no hope. <laughs> Why? Why even trying to be a good moral person? It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay, so now I believe that God has always had a plan for Gentiles. I believe that God loves Gentiles. I believe that He saves them. All right, and I believe that the Bible is the word of the living God. And I believe it's relevant to us today. All right. Now, the Israel only people. Um, it can be argued that they are right when they say the term 
nations or Gentiles is used for the northern kingdoms of Israel. Okay. And I say that because the northern kingdom of Israel is included in the term nations or Gentiles, but it is not exclusive. Okay. The Greek term, it's ethnos. It can be used for the 10 northern tribes um, at times that they are called um, ethnos or goy in in the original language okay but the like i said it's not exclusive to the northern kingdom of israel and i'll give you an example mark 10 33 saying see we, we are going up to jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the gentiles now here gentiles is ethnos it's not referring to the northern kingdoms of israel it's referring to the Romans, and the Romans were non-Israelites, okay? Now, again, Acts 4.27, For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and uh, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Again, here Gentiles... Um, it, it, it's a distinct group from Israel, but ethnos is non-Israelites. Okay. Now, Acts 9.15, it says, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Now, this is talking about Paul. And Paul was to take the gospel to the nations and to the sons of Israel. So, sometimes nations is used of the nation of Israel, and sometimes of the dispersed ten northern tribes, and then also for non-Israelites. And sometimes it's just everybody. Its meaning has to be determined by its use within its context, which means then you have to study, and you have to do your homework. <laughs> so the body of Christ is made up of the regathered 12 tribes of Israel and many non-Israelites who have been uh, who have been uh, drawn in, called by God and trusted in Christ and they believe through faith. okay so the term Gentiles is far more expansive than Israel only people would would have you believe. And so they believe then everything ended like I said and they also take the principle, of audience relevance to a place where none of the Bible even applies to us today. So they're saying that the Bible is written solely and entirely to national Israel. And then they're accusing, uh, they, they would accuse others like me of using audience relevance only for time statements. And what they mean is that to them, the Bible isn't relevant to today's audience at all all right so we'll talk about audience relevance because one of the rules of interpretation okay which is hermeneutics is audience relevance so this means that whatever a passage meant or whatever word spoken in scripture meant it meant or had direct application to the original intended audience this means that there's not one book in the Bible that was written to, all right? Not it was not written to anyone living today. It was not written to you and me, all right? Every single book in the Bible was written for us, for application, for understanding, but none of them were written directly to us. Every book in the Bible is this personal letter or a historical book. It was written by a prophet to a, uh, a particular people at a particular time for a particular reason. So it it really doesn't matter what like a what a particular text means to you. It only matters what it meant to the original audience. It's all it it is only as we put ourselves in the shoes of the original audience that we find out what the Bible truly means. And then after 
It's only after that that we can then apply it to ourselves. So there's a difference in interpretation and application, but it does apply to us, okay? But those who hold Israel only would say that since none of this was written to us and that none of it applies to us today, then it, it was just for Israel, okay? But let's look at a text, okay? In Philippians, all right, this is Paul. He talks in Philippians chapter 2. Paul talks about sending Timothy to the Philippians shortly. I would think that everyone could understand this does not apply to us. Timothy is not coming to you or me shortly because Timothy has passed. <laughs> he no longer is living, right? But he, he said in Philippians 4 now, Two, three. I entreat these big names. <laughs> uh, Udaya, and I entreat uh, Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So let me ask you, is this for us? No. Nope. Those people are dead. Everyone there mentions dead. It's very specific to a local situation. All right. But what what we might apply from this text is the principle of unity we see throughout the New Testament. All right. In the church. All right. That we we want to help the people who are laboring side by side with us in the gospel. That would, that's how you would apply the principle. Okay. That's how the text um, would be applicable. Now, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Does that apply to us? Well, Paul's talking about himself. And in context, right? In context, this is about Paul. But this could apply to us if we are in Christ. However, here's the question. Can we do all things through Christ? Does that mean I can defy death? No. <laughs> no, I can't. Like, can I can I jump over a building? Can I be a Superman? No, of course not. Now I'm being overdramatic here, but notice the context, okay? Move up a little bit to verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know, uh, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, so does this apply to us? Can we deal with any circumstance, right? in our lives that are is happening if we are living in dependence on Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. That should be a no-brainer. It's a spiritual truth that applies to all who live in dependence upon Jesus. No matter the situation, we are to be content because we are in Christ. We are saved. We are forgiven, right? That's that's how you read. That's how you interpret then and apply. Okay, but the people who are saying that since none of this was written to us, none of it applied to us, they're wrong because they say it's all to Israel about their sin, their salvation, their their Messiah. And then, like I said, you have people that even say that sin was done away with, that we don't sin today, therefore we don't need salvation today. That's crazy. <laughs> I, I I don't even grasp that. Paul taught that the Gentiles in the church shared in the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant with Israel. This is, uh, Galatians 3.16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. The promises were to one seed, which was Jesus. 
Jesus is the seed of Abraham. And it goes on in verse 29. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So is the you here limited to those who are in Galatia in the first century? No, it's not at all. If you by faith belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and an heir according to the promise. It doesn't matter whose blood is running through your veins, but whose faith you have inside of you. Okay, so um, that's examples, okay? Um, I don't teach the Israel only, obviously, okay? I'm just not into that. Okay, so um, one more. This episode is going to run a little long. Not too much longer. One more would be baptismal regeneration. Okay? Um, This is another doctrinal error that's under this umbrella of preterism. Okay? And what is it? Most people, you, you probably don't know it unless... You are in the church of Christ. Um, Baptismal regeneration means that the act, the actual act of water baptism conducted by a a pastor or a priest contains uh, regenerative or life-giving power. Okay, so one of the largest uh, religious groups in the world today teaches that unless you Unless you are water baptized, you cannot be saved, okay? That's the Roman Catholics. The others um, is the Church of Christ, all right? They also make it clear that unless you are water baptized, you cannot possibly be saved at all. So under this umbrella, there there, there are many who are Church of Christ that are preterists. So by, by coming to believe in the eschatology then of preterism, they have a correct eschatology, but their soteriology is false, just like in universalism, because they teach that the actual ritual of water baptism saves you, but it doesn't. All right, so here is uh, a quote that represents the domina- uh, denominational view then of the churches of Christ. It says every Christian has come within the scope of this sin-destroying force of death of Christ. We have tapped into its lethal power. When did we do this? In our baptism. There is absolutely no indication that this union with Christ in his death happened as soon as we believed or repented. We did not believe into his death. We did not repent into his death. Paul explicitly says we have been baptized into his death. Okay, so what that means is that they teach they teach that in the act of water baptism that a person is born again by that rather than by the act of God by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So John 20:31 says um but the, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, in one simple line there, it, it tells us that the reason of for the writing of the Gospel of John is so that people will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, and that's it, that by believing that, they will have eternal life. John has a lot to say about belief, but he has nothing about water baptism. Okay, so John wrote his gospel specifically to bring people to eternal life. Yet in the gospel of John, baptism is never mentioned. So if baptism is necessary for salvation, then John got it wrong and he messed up. And therefore, the gospel of John should be should be thrown out. But the fact, the fact that John didn't mention baptism speaks volumes. He didn't mention it because it isn't necessary for salvation. It's an act. It's all it is. It, it just shows we're, we're relating, okay? It's just a physical 
action to look at and to testify of our faith in Christ. Okay. So, you know, let's do one more. Unitarianism. Okay. It's another one. All right. Unitarians believe that Jesus was a man, just a man, just a human. It's long been their view that to talk of him as God is unfaithful to his own understanding of himself. So while honoring him, Unitarians do not worship him, something that they believe he would not have wanted. Let's see what Jesus said about himself. Okay. John 5, 23, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. So Jesus himself said that honoring him is the same as honoring God. All right. So what is, the father is guaranteed that the son will receive equal honor with himself by committing the role of, of judging entirely to him. All right. Therefore, failure to honor the son reflects failure to honor God, the father and honoring the son honors the father. Right. So how 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 can Jesus say this in light of Isaiah 42 a says, I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. So God will not share his honor with another. So for him to share his honor with the son must mean that the Son and the Father are one in essence. What man, what man, or what created being could say that we should honor him just as we honor the Father? Right? Jesus is clearly claiming to be God. So when you read Unitarian who say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, and there, there's a lot of people who say this, all right? Anyone who says that doesn't know the Bible or they've been taught it wrong because over and over Jesus claims to be God. He does it He does it all through the text in John chapter 5. He insists that he is to be worshipped in the same way that God is. He's to be honored, praised, adored, respected, trusted, obeyed, all in the same way as God the Father. So when... The, when the Unitarian says, while honoring him, we do not worship him, then they're not they're not only not honoring the son, but but dishonoring the father. And that's a serious serious thing. So when a man says God is God, but Jesus is only the Son of God, that's denying him the honor of the Father. All right? Denying him the honor of the Father, he's not only not honoring Christ. He's dishonoring God the Father. In John 8, 24, it says, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The I am. There's so many I am statements, okay? So what Jesus says is, is unless you believe that I am, all right, What's he saying? What's his claim? He's cl- he, he is claiming to be I am. And by doing so, was asserting equality with God himself, who was revealed as the I am that I am, the self-existent eternal God. No one can know God who does not know his son. All right. And in the same way, no one can, can honor or praise the father who does not honor and praise the son. Anyone who says that, that they worship God, okay, but deny the the deity of Christ, have neither the Father nor the Son. So this includes Muslims and Jews and Mormons and uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Unitarians, um, uh, and and some people who are uh, get really deep into the kenosis thing. Okay, so while eschatology is important because eschatology is a major theological issue all right it's like two-thirds of the new testament it's either directly or indirectly eschatological okay um 
And and while it affects your worldview, okay, because if if we are living in the last days, uh, and this world's about to end any moment, why care about the future? Why work for social change? Why bother to invest in in anything and your children's lives and their inheritance or whatever? Okay. But we are not. We're not living in those last days. We live in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we are to be affecting the world in which we live by the power of God. So although eschatology matters and it's important, it's not as important as soteriology or Christology. And we have to be careful not to join with those who, or who deny the deity of Christ or who deny the necessity of faith for salvation. Because these doctrinal errors attack the gospel. They, they attack Christ, and we, we, can't, we cannot be associated with that, okay? So, um, we, we, we need to avoid those, actually. And that's another thing. People don't want to talk about that sometimes, but I know I talk about false teachers a lot and I've preached about them a lot because it's all through the New Testament. All right. We'll end on this. Romans 16, 17 and 18. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Okay, so going back to the very beginning that I started with Paul telling Timothy to watch yourself and watch your doctrine. When you know these things, you know how to respond to those who are causing division those who are stumbling blocks because they have false doctrine you know to avoid them the the word avoid there means to turn aside or to shun so paul says they are to continually mark out and avoid those who cause divisions and offenses so we have to what we have to realize is that all our contacts with others influence us in one way or another hopefully we can be the influencer and get these people to turn from these false beliefs. All right. <clears throat> and it's all because we are independent creatures. That's how God has made us. So we're, we are responsible for the influences to which we subject ourselves though. God holds us responsible to avoid those evil influences then. All right. So unity is important, um, but you cannot have unity without truth. So faith is the body of doctrine within the New Testament. And if anybody denies any of the core truths of the gospel, then he denies or or, uh, he does not hold to the one faith. And there's no basis for unity when it comes to that. That's why we must contend for that faith, whether it's in the scope of an umbrella term of preterism or uh, charismatic or whatever. Understanding proper interpretation gets, gets you to the essential doctrines. Therefore, forming a correct biblical theology. And although I've taught and promoted preterism as much as I have, that's not essential what's essential is the hermeneutic to understanding the the essential doctrines of the faith that's once been delivered to the saints that doctrine has nothing new no new revelation no new downloads all right it's it's as it's been delivered and has been written down for us in the scriptures as a whole so that's Chris, uh, our Christology and our soteriology, um, uh, among among other things as well. But it all goes together, and it has to be in alignment. So, there you go. There are some some of the dangers, then, if you will, some of the 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 man made doctrines or um, heresies to avoid, and to know that just because someone says they're a preterist doesn't mean they're on par with all of the Bible. 
And also, just because someone's a preterist does not mean they're on par with all of those other things that I've gone through. <laughs> because very tricky, I guess. But I, I put that out there so people will know. And to understand, it's interpretation, all right? But Christ comes first, all right? Our faith alone, through grace alone, that's, so, uh, th- th- that's our salvation. That's the, that's the gospel. The gospel is what counts. The gospel is number one, all right, along with the, you know, the doctrine of God, the Godhead, and, and salvation. So study, search the scriptures, and contend for the faith. And know what it is that you're contending for and understand your doctrine correctly. All right, there's another episode. If you have any questions, comments, disagreements, you can send them my way at the Kingdom Project Podcast at gmail.com. And until next time, be a mustard seed, be loving. Thanks for listening.